It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. My life is letting me down the road that's so uncertain. And now I am left alone and I am broken. I'm trying to find my way, trying to find the faith that's gone. This time. That you are holding all the answers But I'm tired of losing hope and taking chances On roads that never seem To be the ones that bring me home Give me a revelation Show me what to do
Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is your host, Mark Lichtenwalter, coming to you live on this 12th day of July 2016. You can find us at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the kingdom of God or nothing. The guest call number is 516-387-1641. The archives to this program are at thekingdomofgodornothing.com. So I've taken a little bit of a break over the last couple of days. Um, We've had some health issues, and uh, I've been worn out, for one. I just work in many, many hours. Um, Kim's had some issues that she is dealing with, and we're dealing with with her. Anyway, so, um, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a little bit of a radio program um, now that she's asleep, and I can I can do this now. So... Anyway, um, I wanted to talk about a couple of different things. I've got these people, these uh, true blue Mormon types that just want to argue about everything and say that I'm a false prophet because I bring up uh, things about how the church isn't living up to what God has asked them to do and how eventually we'll live the higher laws at some future time, but... Right now, we don't have to live them. I just wanted to say, God has never rescinded any of his commandments. There's never been a thus say at the Lord Revelation to give up the United Order, law of consecration, plural celestial marriage, the law of adoption, uh, the law of gathering, none of it. None, None of it at all. None of it. In fact... God has actually said that we shouldn't make agreements with our enemies and uh, we shouldn't give up uh, eternal laws. He said, how can I rescind an eternal law? Um, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but it was in one of the 1880 or 1890 revelation. There's several of them I don't have them memorized, but, um, but we just gave them up. So I want to talk about apostasy a little bit. And we're reading a book right now called 95 Thesis by Ogden Kraut, which you can find and read for yourself um, at thekingdomofgodornothing.com. <clears throat> Click on Ogden Kraut and scroll down to 95 Thesis. Don't find that link there. You can read the whole book on your own for yourself. But let's, uh, let's see what the prophets have said about apostasy. <clears throat> All right, let's see here. The prophet Joseph Smith said that the devil may declare many true things and many false things, and he can make righteousness appear strange, but he always opposes good men and seeks to thwart the degree or decrees of God. His smooth, smooth sophisticated, uh, sophisticated influences deceive the whole world. Well, that's a scripture. The devil's deceived the whole world, and we're all like, well, but he didn't deceive me, and Like, that's kind of a prideful thing to say, right? (laughs) The only way you can know that you haven't been deceived is take things line upon line, precept upon precept to God, and get revelation for it on yourself after you've studied it out. Because remember, God said, uh, I I think it was Martin Harris that he was talking to in Section 8 or 9. They never remember exactly which one it's in. But he said, you know, you've taken no thought save only to pray. And then he basically said, don't you know you need to study these things out and then bring it to me? And if it's right, 
I will cause you to know that it's right. I will give you the burning in the bosom, and he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, I think. Anyway, this is how you know by revelation through a confirmation of the Holy Spirit that something is true. Now, what the problem is, is I've been in many Christian churches all over the world. I've been in many Mormon churches all over the world, mostly the Orient and United States, well, North America, Canada included. I felt the Holy Spirit being taught in many different places, or not being taught, but actually testifying a truth. And people think, well, I feel the Spirit, so what my pastor says must be true. But when he slips in some of that false doctrine, the spirit kind of leaves, you know, but then he says more that's true, and you're like, oh, I feel the spirit again, yay, you know, and you accept the whole thing as being from God, and it's not. It absolutely is not. Just because you feel the Holy Spirit sometimes when you hear a church talk, that means that some of that is true. But it doesn't mean all of it's true. But the devil's deceived the whole world. Let's see here. His smooth, sophisticated influence has deceived the whole world. And only a man who possesses intelligence, which is more than human, can detect the evil power and influence. So that's only somebody who possesses something that's more than human. That's the Holy Spirit, right? The only way you can know whether something's true or not is by getting confirmation from the Holy Spirit. Remember, Peter said the scriptures are not for private interpretation. What that means is that you don't get interpretation. It doesn't matter how scholarly you are. The only way you know something's true is by getting that confirmation from God. That means you study that and you take it to God in prayer and ask him if what you believe is true. Spirit testifies of it or the spirit withdraws, or you just don't get anything at all. It just means that you need to take it more seriously. Don't treat the things of God lightly. Study it out, and eventually you will know. So one time it took me years and years to finally get the answer to one of my questions, but I got it. Anyway, therefore, he warned, if we are not drawing towards God in principle, we are going from him and drawing towards the devil. So either you're going one way or the other. Then the prophet, Joseph Smith, continued, there are so many fools in the world for the devil to operate upon. It gives him the advantage oftentimes. And quote, but nothing marks the pathway of Lucifer more clearly than a study into history to discover the infiltrations into the corns of the servants of Christ. It is here that Satan is seen as a great master counterfeiter. He transforms evils into something that appears to be good. He peddles his merchandise as an offering from God. In every dispensation, he has incorporated changes, compromises, and reversals in gospel principles. And regret, or regretfully, many of God's servants, who should have been foremost defenders of the gospel, were lured away by these deluded deceptions. The most adherent desire of Satan is to make the gospel of Christ inconsistent. Consider these devices he has employed in his tactics to modify and transform the gospel. He creates malice and enmity against the Lord's uncompromising saints. 
The true saints of God are always spoken of as evil. He makes error appear to be truth. He slightly and continuously makes mere minor changes in the truth as an improvement or progressive measures, but always maintaining that it is still the truth. He sub- substitutes the laws of man for the laws of God. He will convince men that to obey the laws of man is really the will of God, even though the laws of God and the laws of man contradict each other. He convinces men to allow other men rather, I'm sorry, he convinces men to follow other men rather than their creator by persuading them to put their trust in the arm of flesh. He soon establishes leaders who become objects of reverence. He persuades leaders, or he then he persuades leading men to revere (laughs) their own words above the words of God. By their own deceit, the word of God is altered, disregarded, or set aside. So basically he says to the prophet in his delusion, um, the words that come out of your mouth are more important than the words that the prophets of old have talked about. And if we contradict the prophets of old, well, that's just because we're progressive and you're the true prophet today, right? Okay? Get it? The devil misconstrues the identity and true character of God while tradition or philosophy is incorporated into men's faith. He prevents people from obeying the laws of God by saying they are revoked, done away, or outdated. Eternal principles soon become temporary principles. Eternal laws and ordinances are then taught to be lived only in heaven but not on earth. This is how he loads you away into carnal security and binds you in his chains of damnation. You understand that yet? You have to live these laws on earth if you have the opportunity to. Some gospel principles are taught as true principles, but anyone living them is committing an evil. Take, for instance, polygamy. (laughs) Just going to leave it at that. He uses money, social positions, and man-made traditions to persuade men to compromise. By making a man of God feel alone, peculiar, and rejected, he often persuades he is often persuaded to join with the larger, richer, and more popular clans of men. He uses peace and prosperity as a barometer of God's blessings, and that all is well when men feel secure, they become satisfied that all is well in Zion. Thus the devil cheateth their souls and carefully lead them down to hell or damnation. With these and many other influences, the devil leads the saints by separating them from the true gospel of Christ and the association of God. He, each minor compromise is a victory for Lucifer because the prophet said, quote, this is Joseph Smith, the moment we revolt at anything which comes from God, the devil takes power. And you can find that in Teachings of the Prophet, Joseph Smith, page 181. Apostasy is not always known by its violent opposition or its gruesome persecution against the church. Apostasy may be a very minor altering, changing, or denial of eternal truths. Thus, men should be extremely careful about any written, verbal, public, or secret form of concession to an error. Men should be more fearful of apostasy than death itself, 
Supper, Jesus warned his disciples that they should fear not them that can kill the body, but fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew chapter 28. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. All right. So that's why we're reading the 95 Thesis about the changes that have happened in the church since the Restoration. All right, I'm just going to open up a chat room and leave it open here. It's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the kingdom of God or nothing. It will be open for 45 minutes. And anybody who wants to call in can call in at 516-387-1641. That's 516-387-1641. So here we go. All right. We're going to start with the doctrine of rebaptism, something that you can read more about if you like at ogdenkraut.com or thekingdomofgodornothing.com or, well, it's kingdomofgodornothing.com and then click on Ogdenkraut and go down to rebaptism. It's in alphabetical order and there's a whole book. Also, in the past episodes, uh, we have read the book called Rebaptism. So you can go there if you'd like. But we're only taking this small uh, sample to see changes, all right? All right, in Revelations 2, verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except for thy repent. All right. That's Revelations chapter 2, verse 5. Now, let me just tell you, this is talking, John the Revelator is, um, actually it's Jesus Christ, talking to an apostate church. And he's telling them to turn back to the things of God, turn back to what God taught you in the beginning. And it applies in our day because we need to turn back to what Joseph Smith taught, that he taught as received from God, okay, and now Joseph Smith was a candlestick. There are seven candlesticks or seven spirits of God for this earth. Joseph Smith was one of them. You can find all of this in Revelations in the first couple of chapters. It talks all about it. Of course, you've got to get Revelation to understand these things. I actually didn't quite understand, and I thought I did. So I took it to God, and I said, God, I think this is what this means, about the seven, uh, the seven spirits of God or the seven candlesticks. And uh, I told him what I thought, and the spirit withdrew from me, and I immediately knew that I was wrong. So I repented of my false belief, and I went to God, and I said, well, God, what is it? And he taught, he taught me about the seven candlesticks, under the direction of God, the eternal father for this earth, Joseph Smith being one, myself being another. Now, this is the last chance you're getting with one of us. Because after I'm dead, it's going to be a very sorrowful thing for most people. I mean, it says the remnant will, it'll cause great fear uh, with with the remnant, those who remain, to see myself resurrected because they'll realize, oh my gosh, he wasn't some crazy kook. He actually was who exactly who he says he was, right? So now, here's the thing. If you do not 
turn back to your first works and do as God has commanded, I will leave you. And then you will have hell to pay. Just letting you know. Most of you, I'm just letting most of you know for future occurrences. I mean, for future, uh, a future occasion when you'll see these things happen and you'll realize, oh my gosh, maybe I should have heard. Maybe I should have actually had a believing heart and asked God if these things are true, but whatever. Moroni chapter 6, verse 1, And now I speak concerning baptism. Behold, elders, priests, and teachers were baptized, and they were not baptized, save they brought forth fruit meat, um, forth fruit meat that they were worthy of it. Okay, now, I know a lot of people read over this, but let's read it again. Elders, oh, that person has the priesthood. Uh, priests, oh, they have the priesthood as well. Teachers, yep, they have the priesthood. Why are they being rebaptized? It's called being recommitted. It's called turning away from your unrighteousness and turning back to God. Do you think that Elma went into the wilderness uh, after the whole thing with Abinadi and King Noah and he just started baptizing without authority? No. He was actually a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he had the right to baptize. He became the leader of the church. He, the, the wicked priest of Noah, that's an example of our day. And Abinadi is an example of the one mighty and strong that comes to you. And the church rejects him. Eventually they put him to death. And, you know, but they were, they were the church. They were just a wicked version of the church, but they still had priesthood. When Elmer repented and went into the wilderness to, te- or to baptize and teach, he didn't have to go find authority from somewhere else because guess what? He already had authority. He was baptizing members of the church who were repenting from their wickedness and were being recommitted. See, an ordinance has to be done at least once, but you can have them done as many times as you feel the need to have them. That rebaptism was something that was taught in the early church, but they did away with it in 1896. We'll get that. We'll get to that in a minute. Brigham Young in the Journal of Discourses, volume 18, page 241, said, At this time came a revelation that the saints could be baptized and rebaptized when they chose. End quote. Like I said, Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, volume 18, page 241. There's a lot more to that. That's just a little excerpt, right? So I'm going to go into detail. If you want to know more about that, go back to the the episodes that are talk about rebaptism, or read it for yourself. The gospel has always been the same, the ordinance to fulfill its requirements the same, and the officers to officiate the same, and the signs and fruits resulting from the promises the same. Teaching of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 264. So rebaptism was given to us by revelation, it's the same today as it was yesterday, and the fact that the church doesn't do it today shows that they have changed ordinances. They've changed the gospel. This is called apostasy. See, that everybody thinks that the church will never be taken off the earth, except for that actually contradicts many, many scriptures. 
The only promise that we were given is that the Aaronic priesthood will not be taken off the earth until the sons of Levi do offer an offering in righteousness, implying that when that happens, the priesthood is taken off the earth. Now, how does that happen? When those sons of Levi, who die in the streets of Jerusalem, offer their lives as a, a sacrifice, and they are they're put to death, and on the third day they're raised up again, all of they who have God's priesthood, who are faithful followers and believers, will be caught up with the two witnesses, and then the priesthood will not be on the earth at all in any way, shape, or form. There is no promise that the priesthood will remain into the millennium. Now, it's interesting that it says in the scriptures when we are caught up in the air to meet him when he comes, speaking of Jesus Christ in the second coming, well, that's when the two witnesses are put to death. They are going to meet him. Now, that word in Greek, it means to meet an arriving dignitary and bring him back. A lot of people think when we're raptured up or whatever they want to call it, when we're taken up to meet him that we're going to go to heaven. No. We're going up to meet him and partake of his glory, and we're coming back with him. When he comes back, his glory will de destroy, will burn all of the wicked wickedness off the earth. And that's his great coming. And only the righteous will remain. Right? <laughs> so that's all part of that, but that's when the priesthood is taken off the earth. But it doesn't matter. What matters is that the, the gospel and the ordinances are the same, the officers to officiate the same, and the signs and fruits resulting from the promises the same. And that was Joseph Smith who said that. John Taylor said, shall we stop baptizing pe people and make no, no further effort to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth? because certain ones have already acted foolishly and perhaps wickedly? Do the actions of such people render the principles of the gospel without effect or the doctrines we teach untrue? I think you would not say so. I think you would not say so. That's John Taylor, Journal of Discourses, Volume 21, page 59. But... Because of the apostasy, this is what we are taught. And this apostasy started actually happening. Um, actually, if you want to get right back down to it, it started in uh, 1832. Or it was already in effect by 1832, and you can find that in Section 84. It continued, and God continued to strive with us, but we kept on being who we are, just, I don't know, dragging our feet, not doing what God asked, and it first came upon us in uh, 1844. You can read about that in section 124. And I continued to go further and further, a little here, give up a little principle here, give up a little truth there. In 1897, after one of the great downfalls in the kingdom of God, where God had called them many times not to give up plural celestial marriage, and they just did it anyway to compromise with uh, Lucifer's kingdom. All right, so let's read it. The first presidency and the twelve have felt notice that felt replaced revelation, so they didn't get a revelation on it. They felt prompted 
to order that rebaptism ought to be stopped. Conference report, October 1897, page 68. And the Enzyme to the Nation. Uh, February 1975, on page 45, Russell R. Rich said, Because the Lord has given us the ordinance of sacrament for renewing our covenants, and because the purpose of rebaptism began to be somewhat confused in the minds of some members of the church, the Lord directed church leaders to discourage the use of rebaptism for other than sacred purposes of the remission of sins or for gaining membership in the church. Okay, so look at this. Okay, now let's go back up to this other thing here. Uh, what did Joseph Smith say? The gospel has always been the same. The ordinance to fulfill its requirements the same. The officers to officiate the same. And the signs and fruits resulting from the promises the same. Note. This is an example of policy that if any doctrine, ordinance, or principle becomes somewhat confused in the minds of some members of the church, it will be abandoned rather than correctly taught. Now, if the, if the officers of the church were doing their duty, they would have taught and not allowed the members to get confused about this. But the, but the leadership got confused because they are in apostasy. All right, topic 59, genealogy. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which ministers question rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. Joseph Smith said, A man may act as proxy for his own relatives. The ordinances of the gospel which are laid out before the foundation of the world have thus been fulfilled by them. And we may baptize those for those whom we have much friendship for. But it must first be revealed to the man of God lest we should run too far. You can find that written by Joseph Smith in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 367. So what does that mean? This whole thing where we just baptize endless lists of people that are not part of our immediate family or, you know, they're just people we go to the temple and baptize, right? That's wrong. We should not be doing that. Uh, and Joseph Smith said, uh, it must first be revealed to the man of God lest we run too far, right? All right, let's go on. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 372. When the, then in the spirit world, they will say, do you not, uh, not see somebody at work for you? The Lord remembers you and has revealed to his servants on earth what to do for you. Now, that's interesting. All right, let's see. Brigham Young also said, the gospel is now preached to the spirits in prison, and when the time comes for the servants of God to officiate for them, the names of those who have received the gospel in the spirit will be revealed by the angels of God and spirits of just men made perfect. What does that mean? That means we don't need to go looking for all these endless genealogies and paperwork and all that. What does it say? Let's read it again. Mm-hmm. 
The names of those who have received the gospel in the spirit will be revealed by the angels of God and spirits of just men made perfect. Also the place of their birth, the age in which they lived, and everything regarding to them that is necessary to be recorded on earth, and they will then be saved so as to find readmittance into the presence of God with with their relatives who have officiated for them. This is a millennial work. This is what needs to be done during Zion's redemption or because of Zion's redemption, when the kingdom of God is fully established on the earth, which it is not. All right. Brigham Young also said, when I get a revelation that some of my progenitors lived and died without the blessing of God, okay, so it's being revealed to the men of God, or even hearing it preached, but were as honest as I am, as upright as I am, or as any man or woman could be on the earth, as righteous so far as they knew how, as any apostle or prophet that ever lived, I will go and be baptized, confirmed, washed, anointed, and go through all the ordinances and endowments for them that their way may be open to the celestial kingdom. As I have frequently told you, that is the work of the millennium. Do you get it yet? That is the work of the millennium. Now, we should have our work done for those who are immediate uh, past generations. But running back as far as we do, it's not necessary. That is the work of the millennium. It is, this is Brigham Young continuing, it is the work that has to be performed by the seed of Abraham, the chosen seed, the royal seed, the blessed of the Lord, those the Lord made covenants with. You can find that in Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 138. But today, genealogy is done as fast and as for as many as can be found. Spiritually, the revelations are seldom considered in the work is uh, in the work that is done. They date, get a list, they got some names, and they got some birth dates and some death dates, and they just go to it. There's no need for revelation. And people say, oh, I feel like the spirit of my dead ancestor uh, told me that I needed to do this, and it shall be done. This is the work of the millennium. Do you understand that yet? Let's go on to see what changes were done in the sacrament. Oh, yes, there have been changes done there as well. To administer means to pass, give, or to part only priests or to handle the sacrament. Sacrament. The Lord said, quote, Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, he says, The priest's duty is to preach, teach, expound, exhort, and baptize and administer the sacrament. But neither doctor, teachers or deacons have authority to baptize, administer the sacrament, or laying on of hands. You can find that in DNC section 20, verses 46 and 58. Now, let me just say, when a deacon brings you the sacrament, he is administering it to you. But let me also remind you, when a child or a woman or a man without priesthood administers the sacrament to the next one in the pew, that person is administering the sacrament to you. Women are administering the sacrament. 
men without priesthood are administering the sacrament, and sometimes little tiny children who, who grab the tray and give it to the next person are administering the sacrament, and it ought not to be done. Oh. In the Correlated History of the Church, Volume 1, page 194, it says, Teachers may warn, expound, exhort, teach, and invite all to come unto Christ and take the lead of meetings when no elder or priest is president. Or present, I'm sorry. But they have not authority to baptize or administer the sacrament or lay on hands. Okay, do you understand that? When a teacher goes and gets the sacrament and passes it to the congregation, they are administering the sacrament. If you don't understand what administering is, go look it up in the Webster's Dictionary and you can figure it out. All right? All right. Correlated History of the Church, Volume 1, page 194 as well. It says deacons are appointed to assist the teachers in the performance of their duties. They may also warn, expound, exhort, teach, and invite all to come unto Christ. But like the teachers, they have no authority to baptize, administer the sacrament, or lay on hands. Do you understand yet? Uh, that brings me back to something. I, I don't know if we want to see something here. Did we already read part of this? Because I know we talked about some of the, you know, I think that was the last program. We, yeah, it's not. Okay, we talked about the different uh, uh, callings in the priesthood, right? If you go back to last episode that was done, I think, last Thursday, which I don't know what day that was, but um, we learned that the apostles, the 70 apostles, the, all the quorums of the 70 apostles, oh yeah, 70 are, are supposed to be apostles, right? And the quorum of the 12 are supposed to be the ones that are going out as missionaries to the world. Elders are supposed to um, conduct the meetings. High priests are supposed to preside over those meetings. Do you understand yet? Do you see the changes that have been made? Do you get it yet? And if the 12 and the 70 feel like that they can have a bunch of 19-year-old boys and uh, or 18-year-old boys and 19-year-old girls running out and doing their missionary work for them, well, that is what we call apostasy. And your inflated numbers and your missionary force is what we call Apostasy. Apostasy. Plain and simple. All right. Oh, today the teachers and deacons pass the sacrament, which is part of administering it. Formally, also, they raise their hands to the square while offering the sacrament prayer, but this was also done away. Oh, and, and another thing, and we're not going to get into this here, and I don't remember where. I study this, but all of the congregation, actually, it's in the scripture that talks about the sacrament. Go and read it. It says that the elders will kneel with the congregation, meaning 
the congregation will kneel with the elders. All right? It says that they should take one cup and bless one cup and administer the sacrament. One cup. Not a bunch of little cuppies in a tray to make it all kind of cute. It's one cup. You understand yet? Do you get it yet? This is what we call apostasy. I know I'm pissing a lot of people off out there, but I could care less. You know what I really care about? I care about getting back to the basics, getting back to what God has told us to do in the way he has told us to do it. And I, I, I want to come back to these things so that we can progress and move beyond this ABC portion, damnation, gospel, whatever that, that we are dealing with today. We should be living all that God has commanded. We should be keeping all the, go- all the laws that God has commanded so that Zion can be redeemed, because as it says in Genesis chapter 9 of the JST, when a people live all that I have commanded, then will Zion be redeemed. Then the church of the firstborn will come down out of heaven. Do you get it yet? Is it really this hard for you to figure it out? You think I'm a false prophet or a false apostle or a false teacher for bringing you back to the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, which he learned by revelation, or back to scripture by getting under your skin and getting you pried away from these false prophets that have hijacked my father's church, my savior's church? Do you you get it yet? Is there a reason why God has not revealed his faith uh, face or a thus saith the Lord revelation in over a hundred years? There absolutely is. And if you say that the proclamation of the family is written, uh, it's no thus saith the Lord. Somebody was telling me that earlier today. It's like, are you, you serious? You think that that's a thus saith the Lord revelation? It absolutely is not. And this thing about how we shouldn't have to live that now, but, you know, we'll live the higher laws later. Well, you enjoy your carnal security and your all-is-well-in-Zion crowd, and you will go down into the depths of damnation for it. And I feel sorry for you that you're so deluded and so brainwashed by the leaders of your church that they can never lead you astray which is false doctrine. It contradicts former revelation. It absolutely does. People, we need to get back to, the, to what God has commanded. We need to get back to the truth. This is the only way the house of God will be set in order. The next topic, we're on topic 61, healing instruments. All right, so this will be interesting. Now, what's a healing end? Well, we'll learn about that in a minute. Okay, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. He, she was reaching out to touch the teethsies, the, the threaded garments of the living Torah, who was Jesus the Christ, or Messiah ben Yosef ben uh, David. I'm sorry, Messiah ben Yudah ben David. And she was healed by touching his very clothing. All right, that's a healing instrument. He didn't actually, in fact, he said, 
who touched me, I, for I perceive virtue has gone out of me, right? Power or power has gone out of me. Uh, he didn't even do anything for her healing to take place. This is what we call healing instruments. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, the God and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs and aprons and the diseases parted from them and the evil spirits went out of them. So God, God, blessed the very clothing, the the clothing of of Paul, and people were healed by touching the clothing of that that servant of God. And you can find that in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. All right. Life of Heber C. Kimball. Let's read about him for a minute. Let's see here. Okay, I have blessed my handkerchief and asked God to sanctify it and fill it with life and power and sent it to the sick, and hundreds have been healed by it. In like manner, I have sent out my cane. Dr. Richards used to lay his own black cane on a person's head, and that person has been healed through its instrumentality by the power of God. I have known Joseph hundreds of times, to send his handkerchief to the sick, and they have been healed. Life of Heber C. Kimball, written by Whitney, page 420. All right, let's see. In Correlated History of the Church, uh, volume 2, page 22, Joseph Smith took from his pocket a silk uh, bandana handkerchief and gave it to Brother Woodruff, telling him to wipe the face are the faces of the children with it and that they should be healed. And and so they were actually sick with, I think it was, um, I'll try on the edge of my tongue. Uh, I want to say typhoid. I know that's not right. Scarlet fear. I don't know. There was a, you know, there was a a disease uh, going amongst all the, the saints for a time because of the things that I went through and a lot of people were really sick because of it. And uh, a lot of them were healed because Joseph healed them. And because he's the only one person, he would bless his handkerchief and send it and have somebody else do it, you know, while he's working in one area and somebody else is working in the other, Right to wipe the faces of the children with it, and they should be healed and remark, uh, remark at the same time. As, uh, as long as you keep that handkerchief, it shall remain a league between you and me, Elder Woodruff. Um, Elder Woodruff did as he was commanded, and children were healed, and he keeps the handkerchief till this day. Obviously, he's dead, but he did. All right. He received Kimball said in the Journal of Discourses, the rough oak boxes in which the bodies of Joseph and Hiram were brought from Carthage Carthage, Carthage, were made into canes and other articles. I have a cane made of the plank of one of those boxes, so has Brother Brigham and a great many others, and we prize them highly. That's a little bit more about 
But anyway, let's see what he says about this. And, and esteem them with a great blessing. I want to carefully preserve my cane. And when I am done with it here, I shall hand it down to my heir and are with instructions to him to do the same. And the day will come when there will be multitudes who will be healed and blessed through the instrumentality of those canes. And the devil cannot overcome those who have them in consequence of their faith and confidence in virtues connected with them. But today, such things are neither taught nor practiced in the church. In fact, they're just swept under the rug. They're just swept under the rug. We don't want that part of our, in, in our church that we have hijacked and we want to make more popular. So we've got to get rid of all this crazy whack job stuff and do away with it, right? But that's the way it is, so I don't understand why you don't understand that, except for what does it say in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? Oh, yeah, it's a principle. Here's the principle. All they who believe the lie receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they did not love the truth. Do you understand yet? Do you understand yet? There's so many people out there that assume because this is true and they felt the Holy Spirit about this that obviously this other thing must be true and they don't get revelation on it and the Holy Spirit doesn't testify to it, but they assume. You know what happens when you assume? You assume your way right down into the depths of hell. You're led in carnal security. You've got people. You have got to get revelation for yourself. Topic number 62, the fast day. Uh, let's see. Wherefore the Sabbath was given unto men for a day of rest, and also that men should glorify God and not that men should not eat. Oh, and that's in the book of Mark in your New Testament. By, or, I'm sorry, chapter 2, page page. Uh, 26, or I'm sorry, verse 26. Did, did you hear that? The Sabbath was given for a day of rest and for man to glorify God, not that a man should not eat. Just let that sink in for a minute. Brigham Young said in the Journal of Discourses, another thing I wish to say, you know that the first Thursday in each month we are told, or we hold as a fast day. How many here know the origin of this day, the origin of this day? Before tithing was paid, the poor were supported by donations. They came to Joseph and wanted help in Kirtland, and he said there should be a fast day, which was decided upon. Let this be published in our newspapers. Let it be sent forth to the people that on the first Thursday of each month, the fast day, all that would be eaten by the husbands, wives, and children, and servants should be put into the hands of the bishop for the sustenance of the poor. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 115 and 116. Deseret News, November 7th, 1896. Thursday is a day of fasting and prayer in the church. No longer serves the object for which it was intended. All right. Uh, Franklin D. Richards, 
Journal of Discourses, Volume 26, page 299. The first Thursday of every month is a fast day for the saints to gather together in prayer and fasting and to bring their offerings for the poor, that the afflicted and unfortunate may not lack for food or clothing and the comforts of life. What do we do today? Ever since the mid-1890s, fast day in the church has been observed on Sunday rather than Thursdays, which the people of the church hold as a Sabbath, even though it was changed by Constantine. And the true Sabbath has been and always will be on from Friday night to Saturday night, not the Catholic Sabbath. But since the church... You know, they've got their traditions, and they need to come out of them, and God is slowly bring, trying to slowly bring them out. Well, all right, so we hold Sunday as a Sabbath, right? But let's go back up to what it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 26. Wherefore the Sabbath was given unto man for a day of rest, and I, that should be sleeping in and enjoying your day. And also that man should glorify God and not that man should not eat. See, the Sabbath is a day of rest, a day of relaxation, a day of enjoying your family, not having to worry about going to work. Now, at the town I'm moving to, it's a really small town out in the middle of the desert, nowhere, nowheresville, right? That's where I'm moving to. I'm not going to tell you where it is. But there is a sign on the church, on the lawn of the church. It says, do not play in on our lawn on Sunday because it's the Sabbath. That is a false idea of what the Sabbath is all about. Man was, our God gave us the Sabbath for us, not man for the Sabbath. We don't serve the Sabbath. God doesn't care if you go to the beach on the Sabbath, he doesn't want there to be work. He wants families to enjoy each other and rest. He wants the work of the ministry and the church and all of that to be done on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. The Sabbath is a day of rest and a day of worship. All right, now let's get into some other interesting things. Here, this is topic 63, Women Administer. And we're going to have to be done here in a minute. We've only got five minutes left on the program. Uh, and we're going to overdrive for just a minute, but I'm getting out of it really quick. All right. Women administer. Uh, let's see. This is the prophet Joseph Smith. And he said, no matter who believeth these signs, such as healing the sick, casting out devils, etc., should follow all that believe, whether male or female. Emmett, this is my stuff. Okay, thank you. No matter who believeth, these signs, such as healing the sick, casting out devils, etc., should follow all that believe, whether male or female. Do you understand? You get it? Seriously? All right. Respecting females and ministering for, and this is Joseph Smith, the, the one who you revere as a prophet, who you forget his words. His uh, church does a cafeteria pecking of scripture and doctrine so that they can 
mold the church into what they want instead of what God wanted. Respecting females administering for the healing of the sick, he further remarked there could be no evil in it. If God gave his sanction by healing, and my wife has healed me by the laying on of hands, and she's done that with our children as well, that there could be no more sin in any female laying hands on and praying for the sick than in wetting the face with water. No, no. It is no sin for anybody to administer that has faith or if the sick have faith to be healed by their administration. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 224 and 225. So the fruit follow they who believe. It doesn't matter if they have priesthood or not. Do you, do you understand that? Just because somebody is healed does not mean it's done by the power of your priesthood. And just because a woman does not have the same priesthood as man does not mean that she cannot heal or do many great miracles by her faith. But women do have the priesthood. Well, there is priesthood for women, but it hasn't been fully restored yet. All right. Joseph Smith, Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 4, page 602. I met the members of the Female Relief Society and gave a lecture on the priesthood showing how the sisters would come in possession of the privileges, blessings, and gifts of the priesthood and that the signs should follow them, such as healing the sick. Now, who, 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 what, who? He was talking to the women and he said that these signs should follow them, such as healing the sick, casting out devils, etc. And that they might attain unto these blessings by a virtuous life and conversation and diligence in keeping all the commandments. And who said that? Joseph Smith himself. Heber C. Kimball said, I say that every man and woman who live their religion be humble and be dictated by the Holy Ghost, the spirit of prophecy will be upon them. Oh my gosh, you mean women can receive revelation? Drop your jaw and bug your eyes out a little bit. Do you understand that that is a gift of God that women and men can receive? Emmett is dropping his jaw with this tongue hanging here. He looks like so working. Now he's laughing. Do you understand that, though? Women can receive revelation. Women can be prophets, prophetesses, whatever. Some of you ladies that go abroad from house to house, blessing the sick, having your little circles of women come together, why are you troubling yourself to bless and lay your hands on women and prophesy on them if you do not believe that principle? Meaning, yeah, you guys can do it. Don't worry about it. Just go ahead and do it. Heber C. Kimball said this. You can find that in Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, page 176. And the last one, Life of Heber C. Kimball, page 420, written by Whitney. Here, Priscilla was set apart by one of the apostles and blessed with a special gift of healing. She uses divine power successfully in her duties as a midwife, and her daily 
administering to the sick. She was indeed a, a venerable woman who led a full and useful life. End quote. But today, women are not encouraged or taught to lay on hands and pray for the sick because of apostasy. So anyway, now that I've thoroughly angered many of you, I guess that's just great. When we come back on the program, whenever that is, we will go through temple ordinances, garments of the priesthood, monogamy, temples and stakes in Zion, and the eternal marriages out of the temple. Well, that'll be interesting. Plural marriage. An eternal law, the law of Abraham, Jesus was a polygamist, yes, and we will prove that. Actually, you can find that out, that Jesus was married. That's a book that I've been quite as well. Plural marriage done away, the manifesto, the laws of God over the laws of man, raising, a, uh, raising seed or children unto a brother, keys of the priesthood held by many, priesthood ordination, which was done away with from 1921 to 1957, Priesthood ordinances, the law of adoption, which is not done in the church anymore, doctrine of the Godhead, which has been changed by these wicked false prophets who are businessmen who have hijacked my Savior's church, honoring the dead prophets, which the prophets now say, well, you can't honor the dead prophets because we're more important than they were. Uh, Wrong. You're full of so much. Priestcraft, which... It's interesting. Some of the priestcraft scriptures, you can't even, like if you type it up on LDS.org, they won't even come up. There's so many of these scriptures that they know they don't want you to find. So if you type it up in search, like I was trying to find that in the scripture about it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And I type it in there, and it's nowhere to be found because the church is trying to hide things. It does not want you to look those scriptures up. But guess what? We're here to expose and bring forward the truth. So we'll learn about lawyers, doctors, midwives, birth control, herbology, fear of enemies, seven-year famine and food storage has been prophesied, still has to come forth, false prophets, persecutors, excommunication, and how that is supposed to be done, freedom of thought, Another people, my God, hold on. His word will go forth in these last days in purity. For if Zion will not purify herself so as to be approved in all things in his sight, he will seek another people. And who said that? It was the prophet Joseph Smith himself. Do you understand what is going on right now? You're being given one last chance. You're being given one last chance to actually do what God has asked you to do, or he's going to leave you flat on your face. And the candlestick, who I am, will be taken away from you. Many of this people, this is Heber C. Kimball, Many of these people have broken their covenants, but you cannot do that. For God will cut you off and raise up another people that will carry out his purposes and righteousness unless you walk up to the line in your duty. So these people that think the church can never lead you astray and that the church will never fall, they have another thing coming. Do you understand? Do you understand 
George Q. Cannon, who was an apostle. Such a body will evolve from those called Latter-day Saints, who as a church possesses the fullness and power of the uh, pure plan of salvation. Ugh. Such a body will evolve, evolve, do you understand? From those called Latter-day Saints, who as a church possess the fullness and power of the pure plan of salvation, but they don't possess the fullness of the priesthood. Lorson Pratt, I do not know, but that it would be an utter impossibility to commence and carry out some principles pertaining to Zion right in the midst of this people. They have strayed so far that to get a people who would conform to heavenly laws, it may be needful to lead some from their midst, from the midst of this people, and commence anew somewhere in the region round about these mountains. Daniel Wells. There will come up from the midst of this people, that people that has been talked about so much about. A people will come forth from among us who will be zealous of good works, willing to do the biddings of the Lord, who will be taught in his ways and who will walk in his paths. Orson F. Whitney, I know there is a people in the heart's court of this people that will arise in their majesty in a day that is near at hand and push spiritual things to the front a people who will stand up for God. Brigham Young. God will preserve a portion of this people in the meek and humble to bear off the kingdom to the inhabitants of the earth and will defend his priesthood for it is the last gathering time. Where is the last time, the last gathering time in Heber C. Kimball? Let's see. But the time will come when the Lord will choose a people out of this people upon whom he will bestow his choicest blessings. See, these are the wheat that God is looking for. I would say 99% of the church are tares or chaff. What's a tare? Uh, well, a wheat is something that you can edify and uh, you can actually sustain life upon. Tares are fruitless. They're not food. They look like they're food, but they're not. They are the useless masses, really. John Taylor. What would be necessary to bring about the results nearest to the hearts of the opponents of Mormonism simply to renounce, abrogate, or apostatize from the new and everlasting covenant of marriage in its fullness, that's plural celestial marriage, which is given to us because there were many more elect feminine than there were masculine. In order for an elect feminine to be exalted, you have to have her be filled by the Holy Spirit of promise to an elect masculine. If these women are not filled to an elect masculine, they will not be elect or exalted themselves. That's why God allows plural marriage. And if there were more uh, elect men than there were women, there would be polyandry. Because it's not about sex. 
And it's not about making babies. It's about exaltation. Now, if a woman is still to a man and she wants children, she should have children by that man. Period. End of story. It is not wrong for a man to have more than one wife. It is for her exaltation. It's more about women than it is about men. <sighs> Simply to renounce, abrogate, or apostatize from the new and everlasting covenant of marriage in its fullness. Were the, were the church to do that as an entirety, which they have done, God would reject the saints as a body, and the authority of the priesthood would be withdrawn with its gifts and powers, and there would be no more heavenly recognition of the administrations, which does not happen anymore. The heavens would be or would permanently withdraw themselves, and the Lord would raise up another people of greater valor and stability, for his work must, according to his unalterable decree, go forward, for the time of the second coming of the Savior is near even at the doors. And this was given in 1885 by John Taylor. Do you understand? Do you get it yet? When God says that he wants to restore the fullness, or he wants to set in order the house of God, it might not be the exact version of the church that you think is right. And because these these leaders like to go and have all of their wealth and fly around on their business jets and all the fun stuff that they do, they're not going to listen to God when he tells them to repent. God never rescinded the commandments to do all these things. They are still active, and God is waiting for a people that will do what he has commanded. That's pretty much all I have to say for tonight. Um, I don't know when I'm going to be back on. We're just going to go off schedule and just do these, and you can listen to them on the podcast. By the way, these are, do- are, these are downloaded on iTunes as well. So um, I'll just put on this uh, Mountain of God, and then uh, we'll listen to Luke 1 Part 1. It explains why or what happened with the church changing the control of the priesthood. Here we go. Thank you for listening. Take care. God bless. I could never make it without you 
And that is the truth. And if you don't want to talk about the truth, then turn off the TV right now. 20th, 1775. Many are called, few are chosen. Why? Because the many are walking in darkness at noonday. Where do you find that? Doctrine and Covenants, 95, 5 through 6. Think about it. The, the, most, the majority of people are walking in darkness at noonday. Are you part of those people that are walking in darkness? Out of the DNC 131, verse 6, quote, It is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance. This is stuff that you need to ponder. It is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance. On leading people astray, Brigham Young said this in the Journal of Discourses, And if he, the Lord, should suffer him, Joseph Smith, to lead the people astray, it would be because they ought to be led astray. If he should suffer them to be chastened and some of them destroyed, it would be because they deserve it. And this is Brigham Young. It's in the Journal of Discourses. 
And what makes the Journal of Discourses so accurate is Brigham Young himself was the chief editor of the Journal of Discourses. What does the Lord tell us to do? Waste and wear out our lives doing what? And here's what it says in Doctrine and Covenants 123, 12-14. For there are many yet on the earth among all sects, parties, and denominations who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, and who are only kept from the truth because they know not where to find it. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to show you the documentation and where you can find it. Therefore, the Lord says, we should waste and wear out our lives. Did you hear that? We should waste and wear out our lives in bringing to light all hidden things of darkness, wherein we know we know them, and they are truly manifest from heaven. And these should then be attended to with great earnestness. So the Lord here says we need to waste and wear our lives, exposing darkness because people don't know where to find it. And we are going to show you the documentation, and that's what this video is all about. It's showing you the evidence and the documentation uh, of sources so you can check it out for yourself. Again, the Lord commands us as, as being watchmen who raise the warning voice saves their own soul. In verse 3 of Ezekiel 33, it says, And if he seeth the sword come upon the land, he bloweth the trumpet and warn the people. And whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and taketh him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. And he that heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his own soul. So it's important here to take warning and pass it along. But if the watchman seeth the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and taketh any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood uh, will I require at the watchman's hand, saith the Lord. So there is no, no, there is no escaping God's judgment. You cannot ignore the warning. I, I am commanded to warn you, and you are commanded to warn your neighbor, and that's what the Lord commands us to do. All saints are commanded to sit on the watchman's tower and watch for the enemy in uh, sheep clothing. And uh, that is to warn our neighbor. It is not to say all sheep are good and positive and negative. The positive and negative does not exist in the scriptures. It's right and wrong. We are commanded to sit on the tower to watch for the enemy. The enemy are those who dress in sheep clothing, and they are not sheep. They are wolves. We should all be skeptical. You never know that if I am telling you the truth or somebody else is telling the truth, how do you know what is the truth unless you actually look to see for yourself? So please check out all the documentation that I show you in this video and confirm it for yourself whether it is true or not. What did Joseph Smith say about following the prophet? He says that they, church members, were depending on the prophet Hence, were darkened in their minds. And you could look that up in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 237 and 38. In the Book of Mormon, in Messiah chapter 15, verse 13, King Messiah alluded to prophets which have fallen into transgression. And he says, Yea, 
and are not the prophets. Every one that has opened his mouth to prophesy that has not fallen into transgression. I mean, all the holy prophets ever since the world began. There has never been a prophet that has never fallen into transgression. That's right here in the Book of Mormon. So you can read it for yourself, Mosiah chapter 15, verse 13. Of course, in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31, Jeremiah says the prophets that prophesy falsely. And he goes on in Jeremiah chapter 14, and he says the prophets prophesy lies in my name. See, in my name, the Lord's name, I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you falsely and in a false vision or a divination and a thing of naught. And then you go and read also in Jeremiah chapter 3, 23 is the whole chapter, and it says here in the chapter, verse 11, For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house I have found their wickedness. Whose house? In my house, the Lord's house. He says, I have found their wickedness. And then it goes on in verse 20. He says, In the latter days ye shall, ye shall consider it perfectly. So he's saying here in the last days, History repeats. It repeats again. I found both, found both the prophet and the priest are profane. Yea, in my house I found their wickedness. And then in Ezekiel, down here below, there's some more. I mean, the scriptures are nothing but telling how history repeats over and over and over. And Ezekiel chapter 13, Ezekiel chapter 22, Ezekiel chapter 34. There's just too much to read. It just goes on and on. Here in the Doctrine and Covenants, Following the prophet, the Lord to the prophet Joseph Smith, quote, And behold, how often you, Joseph Smith, have transgressed the commandments and the laws of God and have gone on in the persuasion of men. And he says, For behold, you, Joseph Smith, should not have feared man more than God, although men set at naught the counsels of God and despise his word. Read it for yourself, DNC 3, verses 6 through 7. Okay, pay attention to this. Can the prophet be excommunicated? Look up Doctrine and Covenants, section 107. Let's go on and read this. Verse 82, And inasmuch as the president of the high priesthood shall, trans shall transgress, he shall be had in remembrance before the common council of the church, who shall be assisted by the twelve counselors of the high priesthood. And their decision upon his head shall be the end of controversy concerning him. Thus none shall be exempt from the justice and the laws of God. None. Not even the prophet and president of the church. And it's right there in the Doctrine and Covenants. This is out of James 4.4. 4. It says, The friendship of the world is an enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And if you look under the LDS footnote, in their enmity is opposition. So we see here that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. This is out of the DesertNews.com, uh, Thursday, January 4, 2001. President Hinckley on Most Admired List. For the second time, LDS leader Garns number one in the poll of Americans. And it goes on that Gordon B. Hinckley has beat, beat people like Bill Gates, Jimmy Carter, George Bush, Michael Jordan, Jesse Jackson, Colin Powell, uh, John Paul the Pope, 
he just goes on and on. Tiger Woods, anyway, he is the most popular of the of the world uh, popular leaders. And what does the scriptures tell us about being popular or friends of the world? Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Luke 6, verse 26. What did Brigham Young say about the friendship of the world? In the Journal of Discourses, he said, There is nothing that would soon weaken my hope and discourage me as to see this people in full fellowship with the world and receive no more persecution from them because they are one with them. In such an event, we might bid farewell to the holy priesthood with all its blessings, privileges, and aids to exaltations, principalities, and powers in the eternities of the gods. Brigham Young, April 8, 1862, Journal Discourses, Volume 10, page 32. What did Heber J. Grant say in the Salt Lake Tribune? He says, My greatest happiness, my greatest happiness I find in the goodwill and friendship that has developed among all classes of people at home and abroad towards the Latter-day Saint Church during my lifetime. In place of everyday persecution and bitterness, we now enjoy the high regard and a happy association with all denominations. Heber J. Grant November 22, 1938, Salt Lake Tribune. Again, Brigham Young stated, It is easy to lead people astray. Quote, Brigham Young, I have often said to the Latter-day Saints, Live so you will know whether I teach you the truth or not. Suppose you are careless, careless and unconcerned and give way to the spirit of the world. And I am led likewise to preach the things of this world and to accept the things that are, of, that are not of God. And he goes on to say, How easy it would be for me to lead you astray. But I say to you, live so you will know whether for yourself, whether I tell you the truth or not. This is the way we want all saints to live. Brigham Young, Journal Discourses, Volume 18, page 248. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says, Upon my house it shall begin. Quote, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness in the minds of the people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Do you leave anybody out? For behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, a day of weeping, of mourning, and a lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon whose house? The Lord's house, my house, shall it begin. And from whose house? My house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. Listen to this goes on to say, First, among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me, and have blasphemy against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. So first, among those people, those leaders who profess to know the Lord, and they say they know him, but the Lord says, hey, they don't know me, but what they do is they blaspheme against me in the midst of my house, the midst of my church, saith the Lord. Talk about the last days. You can read this in D&C 112, 23 through 26. Listen carefully what Brigham Young said. Quote, 
If a man is called to be a prophet, and the gift of prophecy is poured upon him, though he afterwards actually defies the power of God and turns away from the holy commandments, that man will continue in his gift and will prophesy lies. He will make false prophecies, yet he will do it by the spirit of prophecy, yet he will feel that he is a prophet and can prophesy, but he does it by another spirit and power than that which was given him of the Lord. Bring him young. Journal of Discourses, three, uh, page 364. What does the Book, what does the book, the book of Mormon say about how the church, the Lord's church, is, o, is only overthrown only by the transgression of my people? In Mosiah 27, verse 13. Now listen to this very carefully. It says, For the Lord has said, This is my church, and I will establish it, and nothing shall overthrow it, save it is the transgression of my people. See, nothing can overthrow the church except for the transgression of my people. Mosiah 27:13. Now, all you have to do is look up the definition of transgression, and this is what the definition is. Transgression equals sin. Sin equals apostasy, blasphemy, disobedience, iniquity, pollute, trespass, abomination, bondage, carnal mind, corruption, natural man, error, wickedness, etc., LDS Topical Guide Index Webster Dictionary. So right here, you can see how easy it is to to to, to have the church is uh, church will be overthrown by the transgression of my people. Nothing has changed in the history of the world. This is the biggest key of understanding truth. Joseph Smith warned how to tell teaching and revelations from the devil by their contradicting of former revelations. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 214 to 15. So here we see that Joseph Smith tells us how to tell whether a teaching is of the devil or of God. And if it's of the devil, it will be contrary to a former revelation or a teaching. So here we have to dig into the scriptures and into the past. And if anything that contradicts a former revelation, as Joseph Smith said, it will be foretold by the contradicting of a former revelation. Also in the DNC 3 verse 2, it says the Lord never varies from that which he has said he never does or else the DNC is incorrect but everything complements each other and that's how you know it's of God if it doesn't if it doesn't complement each other then you know that it's of the devil the Lord God gives us our free agency he says I'll be damned who believe not the truth because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved and for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And it goes on, and it says that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasures in unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, verse uh, 10 through 12. So here we see if we reject the truth, God gives us a free agency, and if we reject it, God shall send them a strong delusion, and we will believe a lie. So if we reject the the truth, God will send us a lie and we will believe it because that's what we want. God always gives us what we want. What did Jesus say? Quote, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. Are we being hated? Also, blessed are ye when men shall persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my, for my name's sake, for my sake, excuse me. That rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. 
So here the Lord saying how happy we should be when people shall persecute you because this is what we should be doing the Lord's work. And if we're not being persecuted and people are not saying evil things against us, then we're not being blessed by the Lord. So it's just the opposite of uh, what Isaiah said. Everything is just the opposite of what is really going on. The LDS have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. And Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied, the earth also is defiled under, under the inhabitants thereof, because they have what? Transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore have the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. So here Isaiah is prophesying that in the latter days that uh, there will be a people, the church in the latter days will transgress the laws, change the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. Now let's see what uh, Apostle Joseph Fielding Smith declared. He said, It is the LDS saints who have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant. Joseph Fielding Smith, Deseret News, Church Section, October 17, 1936. So as we see, Isaiah, Isaiah is his prophecy is fulfilled by the LDS uh, Latter-day Church. What did Joseph Smith say about uh, uh, priesthood change? Uh, in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, uh, page 158, Joseph Smith said, If there is no change of ordinances, there is no change of priesthood. Again, he says, Where there is no change of priesthood, there is no change of ordinances, says Paul. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 308. And he, the Lord, set the ordinances to be the same forever and ever. Let's go on and read more of what Joseph Smith said. He said here, Ordinances instituted in the heavens before the foundation of the world in the priesthood for the salvation of men are not to be altered or changed. All must be saved on the same principles. So here we're not even supposed to alter it or change it any degree or it's not the same. And then listen to this. The ordinances must be kept in the very same way God has appointed. Otherwise, their priesthood will prove a cursing instead of a blessing. Notice what Joseph Smith said here in teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith 169. He says, if we change the ordinances, then we, we turn the, 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 the priesthood will prove a cursing instead of a blessing. Now, if we go back here to Isaiah, what did Isaiah said about changing the ordinances? Or broke the everlasting covenant? He says right here, therefore it has a curse devoured the earth. So he's saying the same thing here. If you change any of these things, now it becomes a curse instead of a blessing. That's exactly what uh, Joseph Smith is saying right here. He's saying, listen, he says, the ordinances must be kept in the very same way God has appointed, otherwise their priesthood will prove a curse instead of a blessing. So we see, like Joseph Smith said, everything will be in harmony with one another as far as the scriptures, and you know that's from God. And if it contradicts, then you know it's of the devil. Now pay attention very much because this is a piece of history that is hidden in plain sight. Talk about walking in darkness at noonday. But this here is the Church uh, of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, confer or not to confer, 1921 priesthood conferral change. Most Latter-day Saints don't know this part of history, but for 36 years in between 1921 in 1936, there was a period of time when the church did not confer the priesthood. There's actually a break in the chain. And as you see here, without the priesthood, you cannot baptize. 
you cannot uh, hold the sacrament. You can't bless the sacrament without priesthood. You can't have t- temple work. You, there's no authority. And, of course, if you don't have priest, priesthood, uh, you have false leaders because if there's no priesthood, that means the authority of God. Uh, there's uh, no chain of command here. It's broke. It's not being passed on. And that's uh, in both the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood. This is what happened. Okay, let's go through a little bit of the history. On uh, that's, that's meet up here. At a meeting at Centerville, Utah, September 27, 1886, President John Taylor said, quote, I would be surprised if 10% of those who claim to hold the Melchizedek priesthood will remain true and faithful to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ at the, at the time of the seventh president, and that there would be thousands that think that they hold the priesthood, but it would not have be... Uh, but have not have it properly conferred upon them. And uh, the Truth Magazine, Volume 6, 136 page. Then it goes on, uh, President Joseph F. Smith, the the sixth president, discovering Brother Penrose, he was the first counselor, was teaching the new method during his uh, presidency, forbidding him to do so anymore, or I will have you tried for your fellowship. Heber J. Grant said, I know nothing concerning the gospel. I'm a financial man. And when I want information, I go to President Penrose, James E. Faust, or Joseph Fielding Smith. And after Heber J. Grant came to to the president of the church, Brother Penrose's theory was adopted. And it goes on. Uh, so here we see that the, the sixth president was threatening excommunication to President Penrose, the first counselor, for teaching uh, that uh, teaching this new way of ordaining to the office of the uh, priesthood and not giving them the priesthood himself. But anyway, let's go on. And it says, on April 26, 1921, Heber J. Grant, the seventh president, changed the ordinances of the priesthood, said Charles Penrose, we have been making a mistake in ordinations. We have been conferring the priesthood and it ought not to be done, he says. If we confer the priesthood on a man, we give him what? All the offices and callings in the church. We should ordain uh, directly to the office in the priesthood. Message of the First Presidency, 5.120. And uh, here we go on. Uh, 36 years later, after it was adopted, 36 years later, on April 1957, David O. McKay changed the manner of priesthood ordinations back to their original way, therein, wherein the priesthood was conferred upon the individuals before he was ordained to uh, the office of the priesthood. Anyway, uh, here we see there was a 36-year period where they never conferred the priesthood, and then uh, David O. McKay changed it back to the original way, but they never went back and corrected all those baptisms, uh, temple work, uh, ordinances of any kind, never went back and changed it, and because we continued down the same path, those that have been given priesthood never never had the priesthood to begin with, and so now we have all these uh, ordinances work that has to be redone. So what about all the ordinances like baptism, temple work, etc.? Said Brigham Young. No being, uh, he says, no being can give that which he does not possess. He says, consequently, no man can confer the priesthood on another if he uh, has not himself received it, first received it. Brigham Young. Uh, the History of the Church, uh, Volume 4, page 257. And uh, here we see is the current missionary handbook. 
of 2002. And you could pick this up at any missionary handbook or go to BYU. And here it says this is how you confer, conferring the priesthood and ordaining to an office. And here it says, call the person by his full name, state that the ordinance is performed by the authority of the priesthood. This is the part they skip for 36 years. It says, confer the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood unless it has already been conferred. So they skip that, and they go right into ordaining to a specific office in the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood and bestow the rights and powers and authority of that office. And then if you go over here, uh, this is the Missionary Handbook, uh, 1946 edition, copyrighted by Heber J. Grant, and here's the change. And here you see ordaining to the Aaronic priesthood. And as you read through here, they left out that part about conferring. And here is the orda ordaining to the Melchizedek priesthood. And here you see, this is the uh, the, the original uh, missionary handbook. Of uh, So you can see that I'm not making this up. And you need to go down to BYU Library and look at all the missionary handbooks in between 1921 and 1957 and prove, prove it to yourself that, that the church did not confer the priesthood for 36 years. And here you see, uh, it's a 1946 edition. Uh, it's a published by the church. Uh, copyrighted Heber J. Grant uh, for the Church of Christ Latter-day Saints. And as you flip back here, I think the page 141. Let's see, is it one? Here you go. And here it tells you right here. I'm opening it up. And it says, ordaining to the Aaronic Priesthood. And uh, you can go ahead and maybe stop that on your DVD if you want to read it. And then down here it says, ordaining to the Melchizedek Priesthood. And what they do is they just ordain you to an elder or whatever office it may be. And then confer upon you all the rights, powers, and authority pertaining to this office and calling in the whole Melchizedek Priesthood. So let's see what Joseph F. Smith said about this. This is uh, coming out of Gospel Doctrine, Sermons and Writings of President Joseph F. Smith. And we're going to quote right out of the book. Okay, on page 136, he has a chapter dedicated. It says, Conferring the Priesthood, the Revelation in the Section 107 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 1, 5, 6, 7, and 21, clearly points with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.